the Money Motivation brand currently exists. It's a, it's a success and lifestyle clothing brand uh, primarily. And it was created uh, because we saw the demand and it was created in 2017. And we saw the demand for uh, the self-made modern entrepreneur, business leader, high achiever. Um, there was a gap in a prominent streetwear brand that really embodied their journey. So I wanted to take that concept and create a clothing brand that could embody that with a mission that's very simple, which was to inspire a life of excellence and freedom, uh, to promote independent thinking, hard work, taking risks, uh, having a relentless commitment to what you do and a uh, never giving up type attitude. Those are all hallmarks of, hallmarks of the brand. And the product line consists of premium t-shirts, outerwear, headwear, accessories, canvas, canvas prints and the like. But there's also a media aspect to this, which dovetails into this podcast actually being created, where I really want to help people be successful in business and build businesses and wealth and be able to enjoy it while they're here, as well as build it for future generations. But it's about being able to live a life of autonomy. And that's been a big part of my motivation to be uh, in the financial industry and also have a brand that can represent that. So the hope is this can influence people to think differently. I be running lights, running for my life. <laughs> yeah, my ex just hit my phone. She say I'm tripping. She say I'm acting different now. She say I've been missing out, but I say it's just different now. Everything I do, I love different now. Different now, had our differences, made no difference now. Different now. Maybe the next one will stick around. Maybe y'all will be perfect. Same circus, different clown. Different now, like two chain, two a same, move the same. New rules, new game. Back on my Luke Kane, look who came to do what you can't. Making moves in two lanes, making music that bangs, make a fool of you lame. about the price and if the finish line is the winning prize why we run the lights you want the love you don't know about the life you can't afford it if you ask him about the price and if the finish line is everybody dies why we run the why we run the That question is, is, well, first, everybody listening, just by essence of this question, you got to know that this is about to be one of the greatest podcast episodes of all time. And it's only going to get better. So this question right here, this question right here should give you an example of why you need to promote and listen to these podcasts. But this can go a number of different ways I think about this question because there's so much that I think about I've learned, the nuances of what I learned. Uh, a lot of stuff is in between the lines and trying to figure out if you had to start from scratch, what would you do? But um, 
here my here's my thought process on it. The first thing I would do is I need to figure out what the target is. I mean, I need to what my number is. Meaning, all right, I got to start from scratch. What's my number? Meaning, what's the amount of money that I need to be uh, free? Uh, to get back, build wealth, and be completely free and autonomous to live the rest of my life um, without worry and without dependency and without fear. What's that number? I first identify what that number is because everybody's got a number. Everybody's number is different. But what is that number? Meaning you got a certain amount of money. You could put it in a, you know, a um, a reasonably uh, interest-bearing investment and live off of the dividends as well as have enough money or interest and have enough money to be able to live the rest of your life. I'd start there. The second thing I would do then, I would have to find some way to generate some income. And, you know, that's what hustlers do. We figure out, all right, you got to generate some type of income, some kind of way. Whatever, whatever I would need to do to do that, to get some base and get my feet back under me, I would do that. And I would focus on keeping expenses low. But it would all be with an end goal in mind. I would keep expenses low, and I'd be looking to whatever I was earning. I'd actually be targeting to try to save at least 20% of that money, if not 30%. Keep expenses low, target trying to save 20 to 30%, all with an end game in mind. Next thing I would do is try to avoid debt. Now, that's a hard thing to do in today's world, uh, but I would try to avoid debt. Not business debt. Business debt, I think, can be really good. And you got to be able to leverage it and use it over time. But consumer debt, I try to avoid it or tackle it early if it came about, I had to use it. And then over a certain period of time, I would take whatever money I saved, as well as any financing that I could attain, any business financing or other financing I could attain to get access to capital. Because access to capital and building wealth is extremely important. Uh, I would then take those things and focus on how I could generate multiple streams of income over time. And when I look at people who get rich in the United States, there are three ways they get rich. It's the stock market, it's the real estate, and it's owning a business. Those are the three ways people get rich. Ideally, I try to do all three. They wouldn't all happen at the same time. But ideally, I would want to do all three to generate income. Stocks, you can generate income, you can buy equities. They can generate dividends. You can use those dividends and income. Dividends is basically income from companies. You can use those to replace bills as well as uh, replace a certain lifestyle. Real estate, it could be rental income. You obviously get the equity from growth, but you got rental income and then owning a business from the sales and subsequent net income. But if I couldn't do all three and I could only choose one to focus on, I would focus on starting a business and owning a business. And the reason for that is because out of all of those three things, the business is the one out of those three that you can control the most. It's also the one that you can build the largest long-term value. This oh, is, yeah. So you saved your money. Oh, yeah. You did well and then you invested. Any advice for a lot of athletes now coming out and get paid, say, big yeah. endorsements? And they seem broke in a couple of years. Yeah, well, because here's the problem. You know, once you retire, you don't have that source of income that's coming in, right? So even if you save over a 15-year career, if your spending habits remain the same, eventually that well's going to run dry, right? So unfortunately for us athletes, retirement age is 32, 34, if you're lucky, 37 like myself. What comes next? Right, so the question needs to be, what comes next? What can I do? What is my passion? Not where I can create the most value or generate the most revenue, but what is my next passion? When you find that next passion, everything else will make sense. Because here's the thing, 99.9% .9 of our community will never talk to someone that can you know, confidently say, yeah, I've, I've generated 
over a hundred million dollars, right? So, like, how did you how did you get to that point? I mean, most of the time we have in that conversation, we have a conversation with a professional athlete or someone that tells jokes for a living, not someone that is a entrepreneur categorically. So, how did you how did you catapult yourself to that level? Man, um, great question. Um, you know, I, it's, I think it's a series of things. Um, so, so there was a point where I left a previous company, and um, and I was sitting in front of um, a former customer of that company um, who who said something to me, and, and you know, her words were, um, "If you could come back and, and, and you have your all your ducks in a row uh, as a as a small business, um, I'll give you this contract." Right, and so. You know, I, I went back, got my gut center road, came back and took the contract and I got sued. And I got sued for the the the, the suit, I think it was for like $75,000. And we ended up settling. And I don't remember how much I'm allowed to talk about or not. Don't put up. We ended up settling. <laughs> but I got sued. And I remember somebody saying, I was at a motivational speaker's conference or what have you, probably about three, four years before that. And I remember somebody saying he was, he was, you know, kind of a, kind of an a-hole, but you know, but he was rich, and you know, so I was listening. And he said, "Man, you're not in business till you get sued." Like, you know, welcome to the new world. If, if you're getting sued, then you know you're in business because you're a threat to somebody. And, and at that point, you know, now you know you've got some some real you've got some real business that you can do. And so, I remember when I got the letters from from you know this person's lawyer. I was initially afraid because I'd never been thrust in that situation. And and then I remembered those words and I got so excited because I was like, wait a second, these people think I'm a threat. So whatever, you know, lack of self-confidence or insecurity that I was holding on to, they clearly didn't believe that that existed. They, like, they clearly thought that there was something else there. And so... Like I think wow. that confidence boost, so it told like the you confidence boost that it did, it did. It was, it was, it was, it was the confidence boost that came from being sued that let me know that wait a second, like that company is generating over seventy-five million dollars in business at the time. Um, they had calculated the profit that they expected to lose on the business that I was going after. Now they calculated that seventy-five thousand dollars. Um. I was I was happy that that was the number, honestly, because I was like, well, I'm about I'm, I'm gonna make way more than that on this deal. <laughs> so, so it's cool because I didn't have as much overhead and, and what have you. But so so I'm gonna I'm gonna put a pin in that and say that moment like got my confidence going. Um, but that wasn't the real transition point to being able to generate a lot, you know, a lot more money. But it was certainly a starting point. Like at that point, I you know I was. I was listening to Drake's, you know, second verse on, on for Paris Morton music, and you know, um, I should I can't remember, I can't remember the name of the song. I know the second part is Paris Morton music too, where he says, "F all that happy to be here stuff that you want me on." I'm the big homie. They said he's trying to little bro me, and I remember hearing that, and I was like, "That's where I am." Like they actually see me as a threat, as a threat, as a threat. As a threat. The question is basically: there are many businesses that maintain but often some of them they fail to expand because they never master the concept of leveraging credit uh, whether that be personal or business credit so 
Mark, if you will, can you provide a specific example of when you effectively leverage credit to conduct business? And why did you choose credit versus cash, if you will, in that instance? Because a lot of those, a lot of businesses are cash strapping it, if you will. So if you could just give us a specific example where you've been able to take advantage of credit properly in, in a business format, if you will. Yeah, this is an interesting question. And, I, you know, you alluded to, I don't know how much this is ever really discussed um, when we're talking about business and, and, and entrepreneurship in general, because it probably is not deemed as sexy as a topic, but I think it's pretty sexy in my damn self. I mean, it's something that you need to understand at your point to be able to do things. But let me think about an example or give an example, I should say, that, um, that can illustrate it. So Money Motivation Brand, a company, it, it will go into its fourth year, the middle of this month, actually. And it started in 2017. At the end of the second year of the company, we were doing about 10 to 13 grand per month in sales. And we got stuck there for about four or five months. We were stuck at that, around that uh, margin of sales. So the first thing I had to do, I said, all right, let me figure out why or what in terms of the primary levers needed to drive more sales because we just had benchmarks of keeping to double the sales, so we wanted to get 25K per month as the next target. So I had to figure out what the levers were to get to that monthly sales mark. And what I determined is that with three levers, it was website visits. We needed more visits to the website. Second, it was conversion rate. How many came, how many converted to sales. And then third was the average order value or number of items and revenue per order that did occur when somebody made a purchase. So to drive those, we needed to make an investment. And that investment needed to be in marketing to drive more website traffic. And it needed to be in inventory because we had to make sure we had the inventory on hand uh, for the inventory needed to fulfill that, that volume of sales that they came in because it would be an increased volume. So in doing the math based on historical sales and investment in those areas, I determined that if we looked over a three-month period, we needed about a 30K investment, and that 30K investment would generate 75K in sales, about 25K a month. So if we just looked at that 30K investment that was needed, three options to do it. I could self-fund it, which up to that point, I had done entirely. I had self-funded the entire launch of the company and the operations of the company up to that point. Second option was to give out equity to somebody who wanted to invest in the business. I had several people who had asked me about it in starting the business and when it was going in the first two years. Uh, and the third option was to do some debt financing or business financing. So my thought process was this. I didn't want to give out a small piece of equity. I don't like the idea of giving up a piece of ownership or control to somebody else, even if it's a small piece necessarily, when I don't have to. Because um, I could have self-funded it, so that wasn't really an option. Um, self-funding it was on the table but I prefer to stay liquid. So we had a proven track record of sales. I could predict that we were getting, you know, based on the what we were currently getting, that if we invested 30 grand, we could generate about 75K. So the better option was to debt finance it and stay liquid with my own capital. So I went and did two things. Got a line of credit that could be accessed monthly for working capital. And then the second thing I did was go to one of my banks that I had a relationship with got a short-term business loan for a little over 30K. Invested that money in the marketing and inventory. And within three months, we hit 25K per month in sales and climbing, and we haven't looked back since. So that debt financing drove business growth. We had predicted sales, we understood the math, and we invested it in the right place. And 
we hit that mark in climbing uh, at that point in particular. In three months uh, after that investment was made, we hit 25K per month and it kept increasing after that. The other thing to point out about that scenario that I think is important from my perspective is I tend to be more risk taker, more of a risk taker than most people. And I don't like money sitting idle. So I had the cash to invest it, but I don't like keeping a ton of cash. So even though I did the debt financing in this example, and I chose not to self-finance, I still took my own cash and put it in play in other areas of the business and or other investments. So I put that money in play that I had to generate some type of return where essentially now I had two potential lines of future revenue that could be generated versus one. So the advantage for me of choosing the debt financing in that case is I had two lines myself plus the debt financing to put in place to get some type of return. A lot of stuff I done heard. It's got a lot of nerve. Depending on who's around. Got a lot of words. Used up on that serve. Got a lot of courage. I don't want to hear your siren later. Shout it, should have thought about it first. Low key though. I ain't really stirred. I don't let it get to me. You ain't doing shit for me. It don't mean shit to me. Never seeing shit blurry. Finally making sense to me. When I see him out in public, one look at the gibbet, no wonder your gem is so cloudy. Remember that VV around me. Please keep that BF around me. My mind elevating, don't keep my vibration. I'm not in the same place you found me. Look at my drippage, I'm drowning. They say I'm it, how I'm clowning. I'm penny wide when I'm counting. Interest gon' keep on compounding. Please on the beat, they compounding. If I did the beat, they be bouncing. I'm telling you twice, come holler at me now, cause I'm not gonna be cheap when you find me. I got on my knees and I tightened my belt. I needed the game and I got it myself. I hollered my partners, I got me some help. We split up the profits and bet on ourselves. You ain't one of us. 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 Remember they all used to front on us. But now we coming up. We got our commas up. Running them numbers up Now they all wanna be one of us Cause how we coming up We got our commas up Running them numbers up Bet on my shit But is there any You know primary big roadblock Or thing that you could identify In your experience or have seen That is the key to unlocking that next level Of growth for a business that's in growth mode When they hit a plateau Um Great question, Mark. Great question. So I, I, I can sum it up with, with one answer, and that answer is systems. Um, almost every business that I see, were, um, or even my business myself, I mean, for me, I learned not only yeah, doubling fees helped, but what helped even more for the sustained growth was me putting better systems in place um, and not spending so much time doing the same thing over and over again or spending time doing a five dollar five dollars is way too low but doing a 15 dollars an hour task because it is you know being like yourself in the top one percent of all earners um that's not 15 dollars an hour work so by having by, by the lack of having a, a a system that can be repeated that someone else can do not having that system in place causes ceos like myself i was in that book where i'm doing you know, mundane tasks like changing a client's address. I have no business changing a client's address. 
I've got no business even opening accounts. The hardest work for me is to get the client to say yes. Once that is done, there shouldn't be any too much more work for me to do with setting onboarding that client, but I found myself doing a lot of those tasks. So once once I was able to put those systems in place, and there's a phrase, and Mark, you might have showed it, it was, it, is it, I can't give you, Jay Papathon, I think is the author of the book, The One Thing, is that The One Thing guy? Can't remember his name. Anyway, there's a book called The One Thing, and, yeah, and that's one of the things that he talks about. Yeah, yeah, well, it, it, we're having, having systems, and... Say again? Keller Williams guy, thank you. Go ahead. Yeah, I know you're talking. Keller Williams, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he has this, this chapter on touching things one time. Touch it once. And I found that there was a lot of things I was touching multiple times. And that's just sucking time where I can be out getting more sales, getting more clients. So, so I think no matter where you are in the business, but especially if you're someone that's trying to take it from six figures to seven figures, like I'm in the process of doing right now, trying to go from six-figure business to seven-figure business, it's all going to be about systems. Is there a repeatable process that your customers or your clients, whatever it is that they experience, how do you make that process so that it's easy and repeatable and less thinking involved and so you can spend more time working on the business and being a thought leader and being the entrepreneur and coming up with new strategies and new ways and spending less time in the business opening new accounts. So yeah, my, my answer would be just hands down. The second thing that started to happen for me that I can kind of recall that, that led to the ability to get there was, I remember other speakers in time and I read this in books where they said, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to expand uh, your business, you got to get a bigger dream. And, and so, you know, my definite major purpose, or if you will, my dream in life is not really about me. Um, it, it's about, you know, creating and building a community where self-determination is our basic way of life. And so in order to do that, I have to achieve things that are outside of the realm of what I can accomplish by myself. And so the next thing is really kind of a, a, a concept around scale. And I had prided myself along the way at like always being the guy that could deliver and do so many things. It was me, me, me. I, 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 Rashad was magic. And it wasn't until I got to the point, like, so I can't remember who told me this, but man, I get this, this saved me. Terry, this saved me to me. And he said, why are you talking about this though? Like, why do you, why do you get in front of customers and talk about just what you can do? You realize you're a firm. Your network is bigger than you. So if it doesn't matter what people ask you, you can do it. Cause all you gotta do is call somebody who can do it and connect them. And just make sure right. they're on the contract to do it with your business and you're done. And so and so it, it started to allow me to now go after bigger pieces of work. And with my confidence now in place, knowing that, hey, these other people are afraid that that's what I'm coming after their work anyway. So let me start going after their work. And let, let me stop acting wow. like I can't do this because you know, by myself, I can't do it. But when I started to realize that it was bigger than me and that, you know, you can't feed your ego and your family at the same time. So I took my ego out of it and started to say, let me go into these meetings and not be the smartest guy in the room and not try to be the one who could come up with all the answers and not even fake the funk like I got the answers. All I got is questions so that I could fill out a piece of paper to go back to someone else and say, here's what they said they needed. Do you do this? And, and then I got friends who do recruiting, so I call them, I'd be like, yo, can you help me find a person who could do this work? And they'd be like, yep, pay me tomorrow. I'd be like, nope, I need to pay you to your lesson, net 30. <laughs> Let me get the money up and get, this, and get these bills paid. Let me get nice. an invoice paid. I'll pay you, you'll bring the people, I'll make them show up and do the work. And now all I gotta do is get a little bit off the top of the work that they show up and do. 
And I don't have to be, you know, Mr. Big Shot, Michael Jordan, trying to always take over the game all by myself. Right. So at that point, I just learned how to be a really good team player. It wasn't about delegating. It was about realizing that me, Rashad, when Jay-Z says I'm a businessman, right, the, the thing that we could get messed up thinking is that this is an egotistical statement about how cool he is. But if you really look behind the, the magic, you start to see that, listen, does Jay-Z run title? Out here, man. No, right, right. right, right he's right. got a whole right. team. He wasn't, he wasn't making drinks no. in the party, party club. <laughs> no, not at all. Like you hire <laughs> amazing people to come and do this work, and you just figure out how you get the money in place, just like you did with your net thirty terms and your invoice, so that you can put other people in place to go and win and go and do what they do best. And so that made it easier to scale because at that point, there's nothing I can't do. I can bid on anything. I can go after anyone because I'll at least know somebody who has the capacity to do it. And I'm not stuck so on thinking that I need to be the one who knows all the answers. So you can't feed your ego and your family at the same time. Provider. You stopped viewing yourself as a service provider and you started viewing your organization as a broker. That's, exactly. that's, that's I, I started viewing my organization as a firm. When someone talks to me, they're talking to a consulting firm or a marketing firm or a what, whatever it is that they're talking about, this is a firm. And, and for all intents and purposes, I could have 500 people behind me doing this. And really, I only need two or three who know what they're doing. And I could pay them at least a consultant fee to write the proposals and get me to work. After that, I got, I got plenty of people I know who can recruit. Shoot, you can't put a post on LinkedIn without recruiters hitting you up saying, hey, you need staff, you need this, you need this. So, so I stopped thinking about myself as needing to be the center of all the attention and started realizing that I am a firm. The, the, like I am a business and that business is hundreds of people, thousands of people strong who can get the work done. I don't need to do it. I just need to connect to the right people who can at least write the proposals and make the money show up. When I, when I realized I was a firm, the scale happened. It wasn't even hard after that. It's, it's, it's really not hard. When you actually make the transition to being a firm and not trying to be you know, the ball hog. Rashad, let me, let me, Rashad I'm, I'm Howard, add I'm a businessman. Basically, the concept was don't just build a business, build a brand. Meaning, a lot of people focus on running and gunning with the business, turning the profit, doing different things, but it's more about how you expand and build a brand. And the brand meaning what differentiates you. So I try to take a look at what are some common themes about good brands and how they can differentiate. differentiate. So to answer your question on how I decided on the money motivation brand um, and the differentiator prior to starting it or as I was starting it, I looked at three things. I said, one, okay, who is this brand for? And what's the niche market? Secondly, what am I trying to sell? And then third, how do I want to price it? Those are the three pieces of differentiator. So here's how I thought about it. First, it was just a brain dump. All right, who's the brand for? The brand is for the self-made. Self-made meaning people who did not come from money. That's simply what I mean by that. I know people always say, well, nobody's self-made. I don't argue with people like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Of course, everybody gets help. But the point is, if you didn't come from money, then you are a self-made person in terms of achieving a certain financial status uh, that you did not inherit. So I wanted to target those people that have nots and those who came for that because I came from that. Uh, secondly, I wanted to target the entrepreneur, business leader, high achiever type mindset. So those type of people who were entrepreneurially or business related and connected, but in the modern world, so not the typical ivory tower corporate type situation, but more of a modern business leader and entrepreneur because it moves different in today's world. 
Uh, I also wanted it to be and have the concepts of power and freedom embedded in it in terms of people who wanted that in their life and understood the power behind that. And in the Money Motivation actual brand name, I wanted money to be in it specifically because it, it's provocative, meaning I needed the money component to be there because economics to me is what it's all about. You can't be free without the economic piece. We talked about that in the previous podcast. But it's also provocative in that depending on the person, everybody's got a different lens about what that means. So it creates a, a provocative piece as a differentiator. So that was first the who. I wanted people who identified with those things. The second was, what am I going to sell? This originally started, and you might remember this, Montoya, we talked about it. It actually started as a media brand, meaning a publishing business and money content. Mm -hmm. That's actually what I had as a concept initially, but I, I switched it and landed on it being a streetwear brand as the flagship product. And the reason I did that was a couple of things. One, I saw a gap in streetwear brands that were out there that could tell the story and embody the journey of that self-made entrepreneur, business leader, high achiever, in particular in urban or African-American communities and culture, I'll call it. I just felt like there was a gap there. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was, I felt like leading with fashion because fashion drives culture. And if I can get people bought into the brand and what it stands for, and they rock in the gear and they're connected with it and they represent it, once they're in that ecosystem, then I can introduce them to a media platform to educate, but lead with the streetwear portion of it to get them tied in and how that enhances their ability to do those things. So that's how I settled on what to sell. And then the final piece was the pricing, meaning what I was gonna charge. And there's three options when you're dealing with this. One is you could be a discount value provider. Second, you could be middle market. Or third, you could be a premium positioning. I decided to be a premium positioning brand in terms of pricing. And the reason I decided that is because, one, reputation is important. People don't remember you, they remember your reputation. And perception drives the day when it comes to that. Secondly, people tie value to pricing. If something is priced more, even if they don't know what it's about, they immediately and psychologically tie more value to something that is more expensive. And then third, pricing is actually a differentiator because it's a status component if you're a premium brand and price it differently because you feel like in some way there's a perception you're a part of something special. So those are all the elements I, I looked into. So the target became this self-made entrepreneur, business leader, high achiever who connected with that mission of power and freedom and being able to inspire a life of power and freedom by pursuing your purpose, of course. And the brand, I wanted it to embody that way of life and enhance people's ability to live it every day with a premium positioning in terms of pricing to differentiate. That's how I landed on Difference is can make us difficult. 
question is what did he make us different from? Now inside my mirror, I see miracle. And you ain't had no name without no ID. You think it's a stretch, no Pilates. Cash will make you clear unless you highly. You'll be a new addition, word to Bobby. It's your prerogative, you gotta live. It's your life, your choice, and thank God that it is. So we riding, we riding, we vibing, we vibing. Taking us high till we vibe in the silence. On the top floor, way up on the way up on the top floor. Top point of view with the top flow. My partners call me Bleeze, homie, not Joe. I wish you could see life through our binoculars. Half the world full of shit, but I'm an optimist. Way up on the top floor, we see them watching us. But by the time it's popular, it don't pop to us. Hold up, stop the bus. The way it's blowing up, it's like it's about to bust. We are opposites, they could not be us You should stop with the shenanigans and shock with us <laughs> Go on, stop the fuss Look how I whip this vision up, straight up out the dust And what I'm doing on this beat like I forgot to flush It's like you took your favorite rapper back and got the plus Meet me at the top floor, penthouse elevator Going straight to our floor, what we need to stop for I'll be on the top floor, betting on myself Now I'm living like a rock star People have ideas every day. Every day, people have great ideas, actually. Ideas that can make them millions, maybe even billions of dollars. But for some reason, somebody comes along and tells them that they can't do it. Somebody tells them that uh, it's not possible. Uh, an expert or somebody who supposedly understands whatever it is they're trying to do and they tell them nobody's done that before you can't do that or people with big opinions you know why would you think you could do something like that you don't have any experience in that you don't understand that and they believe it they they think that whoever it is is telling them that knows more than them more importantly the confidence that they had in themselves is shot Versus saying, hey, you know what? I believe in this. I don't care what anybody says. If somebody tells me that it can't be done, or why do I think I can do it, then I'm going to find somebody somebody else who says that it can be done. Or better yet, I'm going to believe in myself better than, better than anybody believes in the idea. I'm going to believe in what I can do because I got the confidence it's going to happen. I don't care what somebody else says. I got the confidence that I can put the work in, I can put the time in, I got the idea, and I know that I can make this happen. I'm going to find a way or make a way, but I don't care what anybody says, but so many people get distracted. They get, they fall by the wayside because of what somebody else says, and 80% of those people have no idea what they're talking about. 
and they're just taking confidence from other people, but then you believe it instead of believing in yourself. I believe in me.